Hello, it's David here. Before we begin, we wanted to thank you all for listening to The Leader and ask if you'd like to subscribe. Make sure you get us every day at 4pm by hitting the subscribe button on your podcast provider. We're bringing you news, analysis and commentary every day and we're recorded on the day so you're always getting the latest from our newsroom. Now, from the Evening Standard in London, this is The Leader. Hi, I'm David Marsland. Why do politicians even do interviews? We're lower than the world. Lower than the world? We're lower than Europe. In what? In what? Take a look. As Donald Trump's appearance on Axios on HBO is described as a car crash, we ask former political advisor Aisha Hazarika how to do a big political interview. And... Across the West End, it looks like footfall last week was still down 63% on last year, which is obviously a, a massive shortfall in, in spending for all the restaurants, bars, shops, pubs, etc. Four weeks to save summer. The Evening Standard's Jonathan Prynne's been looking at how bad lockdown's been for London. It's pretty bad. Taken from the Evening Standard's editorial column, this is the leader. For the whole thing, pick up the newspaper or head to standard.co.uk slash comment. In a moment, the art of the interview. This edition of The Standard is brought to you by the AXA Startup Angel Competition. I'm Sharma Dean Reid, founder and CEO of The Stackworld, and I'm here to help you turn your business dream into reality. There are six chances to win the competition, including two top prizes of £25,000, mentoring from myself and leading UK founders, plus business insurance for a year, thanks to AXA. Go to standard.co.uk forward slash AXA Startup Angel for details on how to enter and complete your entry by the 2nd of June 2024. Good luck. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. And if you look at death, yeah. Or- Armed with sheets of paper loaded with graphs, US President Donald Trump tried to convince Axios journalist Jonathan Swan that the US is doing an incredible job fighting coronavirus. It didn't go to plan. Take a look. Right here. Here's case death. Oh, you're doing death as a proportion of cases. I'm talking about death as a proportion of population. That's where the U.S. is really bad. Well, well, Much worse than South Korea, Germany, etc. You can't, you can't do that. You have Why to can't I do that? That clip and others from the Axios on HBO interview have been pinging around social media, gleefully picked up by the president's opponents with just three months until the U.S. election. They're calling it a car crash. But can interviews like this, good or bad, really influence voting? Well, the Evening Standard's diary editor, Aisha Hazarika, was once an advisor to Labour, and she's here now. Aisha, how would you rate the president's performance? <laughs> well, it kind of makes... It's sort of up there with kind of Prince Andrew's, like, interview with Emily Maitlis. I mean, I just... 
But the thing is with Trump is that he will have come away from that thinking, good job, really good, bigly good job, bigly good job. Because by the end of it, the sort of journalist did look quite beaten down. And he almost looked a bit like, I can't quite believe what's what's happening because this is so surreal. And I think that's why sort of, that will probably benefit Trump in a way because so much of this is polarized. If you don't like Donald Trump, and let's be honest, I'm not a fan of Donald Trump, you think, oh, this is more proof that he is an affront to the office of president of the United States. But if you're a Trump supporter, you're like, this guy's an outsider, he's a maverick, he doesn't play by the rules. I think, again, it depends whether you're a fan or not, if you're a believer or not. I wondered when he was pulling out his papers and going through his graphs and stuff, it looked to me like somebody had been trying to do a lot of preparation, but as he was talking, either he was going off script or he just hadn't done enough prep for the interview. How important is the prep for something like this, Aisha? Well, the prep is so, so important, but the prep is important if you respect the format and if you respect the the interview and you actually respect the, the programme and you respect the media. If you decide that you don't care, though, and that you think the, the media are fundamentally bad and you're just not going to play their game, then I suppose prep, doesn't matter you just bowl in you just have your kind of three sound bites in your head that you you want to get out um i don't think it looked like he'd done much prep at all but i don't think he preps for anything david i think that's not his style of um governance although to be fair you know he's not the only one i mean boris johnson is not known for being a great prepper in fact one of the descriptions of boris johnson is that he's a sort of an exam crisis type of leader you know like leave everything to the last minute and kind of wing it we're sort of almost used to it now what would really blow our minds is if donald trump came out to do an interview he was well briefed he was polite he was lucid he was cogent and he answered all the questions we'd be like whoa what is going on <laughs> mind blown i tell you all right aisha years ago like years and years and years ago i when i was in my 20s i went for a job i think it was for the department of trade and industry as a press officer right that's where i used to work well there you go you maybe got the job i didn't because i was such a disaster <laughs> such a disastrous interview i just got everything talk about people not prepping i didn't prep for this one of the questions they asked me now, bear in mind, I was a, a journalist at the time. One of the questions he asked me is, why do politicians do live interviews? And I was like, I have no idea. <laughs> but I kind of still don't know, Aisha. Why do they put themselves through this? What can they win? Well, it's actually a very interesting question. So I would say that when I was a, a press officer, when I got your job at the Department of Trade and Industry, which would have been around... I was there from like 2000 to 2005. That was yeah. my little stint there. <laughs> so back in the day, pre-social media, doing live television interviews, and particularly before the advent of 24-hour news, but doing those TV interviews that got you into the homes of the public, they used to have, you know, they were must-see programs. As time has gone on, and I think this is very interesting in terms of you see what Trump is doing now, you see a little bit of what Dominic Cummings and Number 10 is doing now. You saw a bit of it with Jeremy Corbyn as well. Because the media has proliferated and now there is social media and many senior um, figures have, you know, more followers than newspapers have circulation or TV shows have 
viewing figures, they feel very much like they aren't beholden to these um, kind of slots anymore. They can pump out their own image, their own message, and they can make films, they can make news, they can make propaganda if they like, and their, their followers will kind of lap it up. So I think there's always been a convention in British politics, um, whether you're a journalist or whether you're an advisor, that there are things that really matter. But I think as, as time is going on, that orthodoxy is being challenged and we've seen it on all sides. There's a slightly more fractious relationship now. I mean, there's always been a difficult relationship between the press and politicians. That's never been easy, but it feels like it's becoming you know, even more fractured. Yeah, and we had that issue about Boris Johnson not doing an interview with Andrew Neil, didn't we, uh, before the, the last election. Can interviews like that, did the, what we called the car crash interview with Jeremy Corbyn and Andrew Neil, does that affect voting at all? Yes, I think it I think it does because I mean people aren't glued to every single political program but if you have a moment that goes really badly wrong for a political leader so for example when Andrew Neil kept asking Jeremy Corbyn if he would apologize I think that was it was all an anti-semitism and he just would not you know I think he didn't say sorry or he just wouldn't give an answer that that sort of satisfied Andrew Neil and he kept going at him that moment went viral and so it wasn't just people who were watching the tv show the clip then got seen by millions and millions of people but there's a sweet spot for politicians and this is really important you should be able to go in and do a, a testing big interview you must be prepped but you should do it with a level of ease if you are straining a sinew or like there's a blood vessel bursting in your eye because you're so stressed and you're straining to remember like the answer to every question like it's an exam like it's a viva then you're not going to come across as a strong leader or a good communicator the sweet spot is is being well prepared so you are across the issues but you have to have a constant base level of knowledge and understanding about what's happening in politics and policy. But also you have to know what you actually think and believe and no advisor should write that out for you. That should come from your heart. That should be your values. That should be your ideology. That should be what your political mission is. And I think sometimes the mistake that some, so doing too little prep is terrible, but sometimes people over prep and they stick to the line so rigidly that they sound like machines. They don't sound like human beings. Yeah. This, um, this is kind of bringing up that classic JFK Nixon thing, isn't it? When they did the debate and JFK looked great on television, Nixon kind of looked kind of straight and didn't really appear to be giving exuding confidence, did he? And it just makes that massive difference. I wonder how Donald Trump and Joe Biden are going to square off when their debate comes up, because that election is just a few months away. It is. It is less than 100 days away. I mean, that is going to be fascinating because at the moment, Joe Biden has done pretty well in the polls and the polls are looking really good for him. And one of the interesting things is Joe Biden's done really well by basically shielding and hiding away and, and saying very little and being very invisible. There's a lot of commentators who have argued that by sort of gently vacating the pitch, he's made the contest COVID versus Trump, which is actually quite smart because Trump is losing that battle to, to COVID. Trump will probably not do that much prep. Biden will be doing so much prep for that because that is going to be the debate of, you know, those debates are going to be so critical to Biden, like probably the most important debates he'll ever do in his life. Next. Forward bookings for September 
are down 89% on September last year. That suggests that even after the summer, the autumn is not going to be any brighter. Jonathan Prynne, why London's future could depend on Christmas. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. The Evening Standard's been investigating how the lockdown is affecting London's economy. And what the newspapers found is alarming. We should be in the height of the tourist season. But last week, the number of people in the West End was down 63% on this time last year. Hopes for some kind of a coronavirus recovery appear to be fading. Our editorial column says there's four weeks to save summer. London is empty. Tills aren't ringing. Soho's bars are quiet, Canary Wharf is a ghost town, and of course there are few tourists. Covid feels like a disease targeted at destroying the thing that makes our city special, the energy that comes from close human connection. Worse, those in power haven't found the urgency needed to fix things. We're nowhere near the disaster that hit some American cities in the 80s, the hollowed-out ruin of Detroit with its rich suburbs and empty core. But if a lost summer is followed by a quiet winter, many shops, restaurants and theatres will be lost for good. The policy response needs to be a lot more ambitious. If it can't come from politicians, then it needs to come from all the rest of us. London's businesses, cultural centres and the creative energy of its people. Together we can save... The city. Well, Jonathan Prinzi, Evening Standard journalist who's been investigating this. And Jonathan, you've been looking at some facts and figures that really lay out how bad this has been for London. Yeah, they do. Um, uh, and it's really not a pretty picture. I think most people have been hoping that by the time we got into August, we'd be starting to see um, quite a, a strong recovery from, uh, from the ending of lockdown. But it's not... It's not really happening. I mean, there has been a slight bounce back, but it's nowhere near heading back towards uh, levels that we used to consider normal back in 2019 and uh, and beyond. Um, Across the West End, it looks like footfall last week was still down 63% on last year, uh, which is obviously a a massive shortfall in in spending for all the restaurants, bars, shops, pubs, etc., across, um, you know, what's a major economic powerhouse for the country as a whole. Yeah, we have been expecting 
some kind of an uplift for months now. Every month you and I go on the podcast, Jonathan, and we say, but it might get better next month or it might get better next quarter. Is that going to happen at all? Well, I think the worrying thing is uh, that there are no signs of it. We're, we're running out of road so far as summer is concerned. <clears throat> September is only four weeks away, which is traditionally the end of, of sort of the peak season. Uh, I've also seen some forward booking figures um, which suggest that foreign tourists are not planning to come back to London anytime soon. Forward bookings for September are down 89% on September last year. Uh, and that that suggests that even after the summer, the autumn um, is not going to be any brighter. Uh, so really, I think London's already starting to look to Christmas and beyond for some sort of salvation. We're going to need one heck of a Christmas, though, aren't we, if we're going to try and stabilise this economy? Well, we are, but I, the trouble is that even, you know, the, 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 such a big part of the draw for London is that the theatres and all the entertainment uh, sectors, the, the, the opera and, and all the great famous venues that, that make London, you know, the, the amazing international uh, draw that it is. A lot of those places are already pretty much uh, writing off Christmas and looking towards next year. Um, you do also wonder, you know, how many of the shops will, will actually survive through to be able to survive through to Christmas trading. Uh, and also we've got some polling data in today in the story which shows that 40% of people uh, surveyed are still nervous about going into central London because of COVID. They still think they're at risk in, in the heart of a big city uh, to a much greater degree than if they you know, stayed in their sort of towns and villages and countryside outside London. And it is pulling people back into the city, whether through tourism or just through going to the office, that will make the difference here, isn't it? It absolutely is. I mean, there's sort of three categories, if you like. There's the office workers who are the absolute bread and butter of London, central London's economy. They spend every day in restaurants, pubs, shops, etc., etc. There's the domestic tourists who seem much keener on the fresh open air of, of Cornwall and Wales and, and the countryside at the moment. And then there's the foreign tourists who aren't coming because of quarantine and, and other factors, but largely quarantine. So all three of the main mainstays of, of the central London economy are, are, just, uh, are just missing in action at the moment. And we are seeing the impacts of all of this. We've seen lots of job losses. Just today, Curry's PC World announced 800 job losses. There must be fears that more is coming. I, I, there, there absolutely are, David. And I, I, think, I think the real worry is the sort of cliff edge ending of, um, uh, of furlough in October, although it's been pushed out um, into the autumn way beyond what was originally planned. The chancellor's made it fairly clear that, that you know there can't be any more furlough. The economy just can't afford it. Um, so that I think there's a real concern then what happens when individual businesses up and down the land, particularly in London, but across the country as well, look at their options for their future employment on a much lower level of economic activity and then have to make some absolutely hard, heartbreaking decisions about levels of staffing that they want to maintain um, in for the long run. We have, though, seen the launch of Eat Out to Help Out, which we covered on the podcast ahead of it happening. How did that go down? Is that going to make the kind of difference that that industry needs? 
Uh, it's been hugely welcomed and hugely helpful. And there's no question that bookings for the days that it's valid for, which let's not forget is only 13 days when all said and done, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday in, in August. Uh, but it has been helpful. Uh, bookings are very much up on those days. Restaurateurs love it. However, it is a short-term fix. It's only 13 days out of the whole year that it applies for. And there's already some evidence that it's dragging reservations from the weekend to Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, when people can get their £10 off. So, yes, uh, you know, two cheers. It's a good idea. It does seem to be working, but it's, it's very much a, a sort of a, a short-term adrenaline hit. And when that's gone, the, you know, the stark reality doesn't change. And that's the leader. Check out the Evening Standard's website for breaking news as well as more commentary, analysis and features. That's at standard.co.uk. This podcast is back tomorrow at 4pm. Mm-hmm.